1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chiluminati Podcast, episode 165. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the teeny, 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 Tina Fey and Amy Poehler of L.A. Jesse the teeny, Alice. tiny Tina Fey and A,
2: the little, tiny Chibi Fey. They used to host the weekend update, but they're one-fourth the size. It's teeny, <laughs> Tina Fey.
1: Welcome to the show, as always, boys. It's good to have you. Oh, you? it's good to be here. Are you excited for today? I brought tea. I'm very excited. Let's get crazy. Tea? That's like I feel like that's not what you need to be bringing to these shows. If like oh, if I, brought, you I brought, brought a
2: fucking fifth of fucking vodka, bro. Also, I
1: don't feel like that's our vibe. Either. I mean, the tea's <laughs> name the tea's
3: called throat coat. Does that help? Ooh, that's uh, throat you know coat. What?
2: Look, can, can we do? Can we? Where's throat coat at on the true crime paranormal <laughs> sponsorship? <laughs>
3: well, it makes my voice good so i uh, you know i'm all right with yeah. that
1: voice good all right it does it it's feels designed. good i
3: love throat yeah throat yeah. coat teas I have nothing great. to say about that I,
1: I should probably try that then i've never ever google ever it you'll be it. like what? oh what
3: a spicy taste of flavors that makes me able to talk in the morning
1: wow even though it's afternoon right now
3: well i've been drinking it all day i'm not gonna oh, lie yeah, fair enough, fair I, enough. This, is my, this is my third cup so it's like Just all
1: good
2: slamming down that throat coat what can Just I say? Like just like the people on patreon slam their money into our hands right alex <laughs> that's right i don't even have to do these i, things. I stole it i, head I stole it patreon.com that is if you head over you. to patreon yeah that's what well, yes that's so tina of you uh, the uh, patreon <laughs> is a great thing it's very good that we have it it helps us stay regular if you if you come support us you don't leave empty handed you get all kinds of great chiluminati related goodies art presale uh, ad-free episodes, all kinds of great stuff. Minisodes that we do right after this every single time. Like for every episode, this is like, uh, who is that? Ad- Einstein? For every episode, there is a smaller and worse minisode. Is that? Yeah, yeah perfect. Exactly. That's correct. Yeah. Yep, that that's one it right things? there. Yeah. And uh, also Rotten Popcorn is out there now. This is good. This is uh, it's like. We got a new one coming very soon. It's like Chist Chilstery. Minadians Theater 3000. That's yeah, that's, that's copyright
1: here. safe, right? That's like, yeah, that's not in copyright infringement, right? We're good with that.
2: Yeah, except the totally movies aren't fine. like funny bad. They're just like. Bad. I disagree. They're- I think Mazes and Monsters was hilarious. I really enjoyed
1: Suburban Sasquatch. I thought that was funny. Mazes and Monsters
2: haunts me to this day. He's still IG. He's still IG right now. Yeah, he's never gonna not be IG. Uh, he's stuck yeah. there
1: forever. And Mothman Prophecies was good. It was just weird. It was very strange. Yeah.
2: I don't know why that was like the plot of a like expensive movie. We're doing the show. We're doing, We're the, doing the, show. the show. Yeah, welcome Check everybody. Welcome,
1: welcome, welcome.
2: Go go over there,
1: patreon.com. What? Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. There was, oh yeah. When you talk about pre-sales, I just wanted to say we will have another pr- plushie working on in the future. And if you were one of the patrons, you got like you got notification that they were dropping before they dropped. So if you missed out on getting that plushie, because we don't know if we're getting a
2: third wave or not, that's up to the yeti. Those plushies, I I don't even know who's buying them. I think Mathis is just. buying I just them have a point. closet of them all. Yeah, I don't know who's buying them, but they're fly. Anytime we put them out, they like disappear within like a little bit of time. The beanies were gone in like a day as well. As soon as those. It went is because we gone. only make six plushies at a time.
3: Uh, it, yeah, I, them, it. I make every plushie only. by myself. Do you give each one a kiss before you bag it up? I not only give it a kiss, I like uh, give it a hug, and and then, yeah. and then and then and put one hair in each stuffing. So I'm actually a part of each plushie. Where does the hair come plussy. from? Where's the hair come from? Mm-hmm. My beard. It's beard hair. Okay. Right. I can't well, give
2: any more head hair. I, got, I, have, I, got nothing, so I have nothing to do it's with those. Start, I have nothing to do with those fucking yeah, plushies. Yeah, I don't, so I don't, don't either. Disgusting. Put a little
3: beard, one beard hair, one single beard hair in with the stuffing. So I'm always with you. Fantastic. I don't stand by those plushies. They're gross. I'm
1: just kidding. Oh, now, well, what's, the next gonna, what, we have any, what's the next plushie
4: going
3: to be? What's the next plushie going to be?
1: There are, We have many ideas. Yeah, of, all, right, all, right, all right. But like, give me one. Give me one example. Uh, a puppy chupacabra. But like, how does that
2: work? We does it do have like dangly so, legs?
1: He, no, we give him a little dangly joint thing at the front of his head, yeah. though.
2: He's yeah. gonna have a joint coming out of his head. This is IP. Can I ask yeah, you a
1: question? Uh huh.
3: Why are we not making sumsums? Remember those things? Do you know
1: what Sum Sums are? Yeah, I know what Sum Sums are. I mean, probably because of copyright would be my guess. We call, that- call, them,
3: call them Chill Chills.
1: <laughs> Chum Chums. Chill yeah.
3: suminati. <laughs> yeah, and they're just Terrible. like little tiny, like round boys. And Somebody
1: suggested a bunch of like little, you know those like They've reversible- like the Disney um, characters
2: into burritos.
1: You know those reversible like uh, octopus things with the happy and sad face? Sure. Somebody yeah. suggested we do the green stone and it turns into the red stone. <laughs>
2: That's a great it's idea. It's just a rock. It's, it's literally
1: just anything. a rock. It's
2: not I anything. don't know if it would
1: sell. I don't think it has the we same kind of cross, cross pollination that the Mothman has when it comes to product. Um, uh,
2: we should sell one hundred dollar rocks that we paint green by hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: That is some gamer girl bathwater if I've ever heard of it. <laughs> that
2: sucks. <laughs> How much awful. money did she make? How much did (laughs) Delphine make? That's the question. More money than I will ever see. Yeah. That sounds good to me.
1: Boys, I'm nervous. We're about to go into something that I I know it's about to happen. I'm mentally and emotionally prepared for it, but still, I walk in with hesitation because I understand where these people come from. And I want to be there with them. I want to be there alongside them. Because today is part two of Missing 411. And while we looked at missing 411 in the first part and just did some stories and tried to take these things at face value, in part 2, we're going to do something we didn't do in that or those early early episodes. We're really going to do some deep dives. We really did a lot of research on this and we're going to talk about why in my own humble opinion that while missing it, it's fascinating to hear stories of missing people's going out in the woods and those stories always make for, you know, creepy entertainment. Um and yeah, I want to be there with you with the believing aliens have abducted these people or whatever it is that you think was weird and happened. I want to be there, but I I just I just can't do it. I, I, all through this research, I just have come to the conclusion. It's not possible for me. And for those who are already typing their angry comments, just hear me out. I'm not here to make you mad. I'm simply here to posit what may be actually going on. So
2: He sounds like me at the beginning of the JFK episode. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: I know, I know, I know. So here's a big thing that we're going to move into. I want to first clarify what exactly a missing person's case has to fall under in order for it to be considered a missing 411 case. And this is how David, and I'm going to, I apologize for mispronouncing his name last time. His, his last name is Paulitis, David Paulitis. I kept saying Paulides because it's just how it's phonetically spelt. And that's my own brain doing its own thing. Um, and I, I watched over the weekend the, his most recent documentary, uh, the 2019 doc, Hunted. Let me just say the first case they introduced of this elderly man who went hunting with his family was 82, partially deaf, missing an eye and left alone. They wonder why he went missing, but, but we're not going to talk about it. I just say that, that's the kind of cases we were, we, that were presented within the actual documentary which you would think would be some of the more convincing cases. But the, the, here are the things, and this is pulled right out of the documentary, that consists of a 411 missing person. Point of separation, meaning they, at some point, wandered off alone. Most common, these are happening, at least for the missing 411 cases, are mid to late afternoon. The time of disappearance, which correlates to the mid to late afternoon. Usually they go disappearing near boulder fields or near water. Uh, which are va- that's a covers a vastly different kind of of land. Then there's a weather event that happens during or shortly after the person goes missing, such as rain or snow or heavy fog. Most likely, the person most often should say the person has some, and this is. Has some sort this is of
2: like lay, is this like laid
1: out yes, criteria? This is this is laid out in the movie. I wouldn't say coherently, but they do give a bullet point list, and that's what I'm using right now. Okay. Um, the person usually has some sort of obvious or subtle health disability. Canines can usually not track the person. They're if found found in an area that was previously searched. The person usually has missing clothing items. There's an unknown cause of death and there exist they must exist within geographical clustering. And what geographical clustering is, according to uh, Paulides, is an area on a map where clusters of people are going missing. However, his range for a cluster is fucking huge. He considers anything a cluster that consists of 3 to 75 or 80 missing people in an area. And that is... A large swath to kind of. What do you mean
2: three to 75? His words. His words.
1: (laughs) uh, It's a fantastic question. He's also claimed to have found over 50 clusters across the globe. Now, those are all the main points. I go on to now clarify they don't have to hit all of those points, they just have to hit enough of them where they are considered. Now, you might ask yourself, how many? do they have to hit in order for it to be considered missing 411? And the answer I have for you is good question because a lot of the things he does are vague and nondescript and we do not know exactly only that in the missing 411 cases, a mix of these bullet points are going to occur. I also want to move forward. Go ahead and say, here are the sources that we are using for this particular episode. Obviously, all the books and the documentaries that we've listed in the first episode. But on top of that, um, there's a lot more being used here. I'm using nps.gov and their missing person. I'm using a, a professional caver by the name of Chuck Sutherland to discuss some of the aspects that we're talking about there. I'm uh, discussing a, uh, a more modern or rather a, a rather deep breakdown of some of the missing persons cases, uh, that are presented within his books, um, by an author that, uh, whose name has disappeared, uh, mostly because his account on Reddit has been deleted, so I don't know where he went or what his uh, things are, but all the info is still very readily available. Um, on top of that, we are also going to be using Skeptoid.com. Please bear with me. We're only using it for a quote from a scientist, not the actual full article. Uh, And then we are also using strangeoutdoors.com, which is a uh, using for a breakdown of how people go missing and disappearances, as well as pubmed.ncbi.nlm.nah.gov. So a government medical website to break down the first one of the first things I even want to talk about when it comes to some of these bullet points that David puts forward, specifically the the bullet point of uh, missing clothing. now a lot of people uh, and him himself really point to that people obviously take their clothes off when hypothermia typically occurs that's seen in a lot of people as they kind of it doesn't make sense they get warm and whatnot but what david will point to is a lot of these people if their bodies are found are ruled out to have died from uh, hypothermia or have any physical evidence that presents on the person that they had hypothermia and therefore them taking off their clothing doesn't make much sense however there is a phenomenon known as paradoxical undressing. And they they don't know, and this is where the medical website uh, comes from, what causes it a lot of the time. They posit some examples that can cause them to undress that are not not hypothermia. But let me read to you what the abstract is here of paradoxical undressing uh, associated with potential subarachnoid hemorrhage in non-hypothermia cases. Paradoxical undressing is a phenomenon characterized some fatal hypothermia cases. The victims, despite low environment temperatures, paradoxically remove their clothes due to a sudden feeling of warmth. In this report that they've created, they describe a case of suspected paradoxical undressing in a non-hypothermia case. The victim, a 51-year-old Caucasian man, was found dead wearing only sneakers and socks, and all other, all other clothing was found in his car. Post-mortem investigations allowed the hypothesis of a th- hypothermia to be ruled out and revealed the presence of a ruptured cerebral aneurysm that suggested a voluntary undressing or any third party's DNA profiler in- uh, involved. There was no it third suggested party.
2: suggested an undressing, an aneurysm suggested an undressing? Correct,
1: That they, well, they, they when they did an autopsy on his body, they found that he had an aneurysm and it was the only thing that they could give as an explanation as to why he undressed because he clearly had not suffered from hypothermia well, this
3: this goes back to when we were talking about the uh boy i'm gonna butcher this name the uh diet love is that what it's called yes diet love pass
1: yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, exact yeah. same thing when Similar, those people
3: right? were like running out of their tent and stripping down and and it's it seems like a trend as you research more and more people getting mm-hmm. lost in the snow and in the cold something happens to them where they like kind of lose mm-hmm. it and uh you know, I'd be more interested in seeing a study of that. Like, yes, what what happens there, and why there's so many instances of that, and if this is the reasoning, is it just like is there like a trigger in your body that it when it goes off, you're done. You're you're just gonna run around in the right. snow, bare ass naked, and you're dead.
1: Yeah, agreed, and it, it, that's that's what's frustrating about it, right? Because and that's where I understand where a lot of these people who want to believe in the weirdness of missing One come from. Because while I can say yes. You know all the people who we never found only found their clothing of any number of things could have caused them to to, to take their clothing off there is literal med- medical examples of people undressing without hypothermia but then there's always the ones where the bodies are found they don't look like they suffered hypothermia and maybe you know during an autopsy it doesn't look like they had a cerebral hemorrhage then there's still that mystery there and it is a confusing mystery Unfortunately, just because something is a mystery does not inherently imply that the paranormal are involved. And that's the slippery slope that we've talked about so many times over so many episodes. That's
2: the slippery slope that we've uh, we tread. been sitting on. We tread that slippery slope all yeah, the time. <laughs> pretty much the entire time we've been at the show. Go. But the fascinating thing to me is that we're
3: sitting here talking about missing 411 and all these crazy things that could potentially be happening. And like, is it Bigfoot? Is it aliens is it whatever? But to me... The bizarre fascinating thing out of all this is, again, going back to, like, the human mind and just our psyche breaking is fascinating. And that's a whole. Our psyche is fragile as hell, man. Like, people don't realize how easy it is for people to break. That's genuinely terrifying when you think about that compared to, like, well, it's, you know, it could be Loch Ness got him. You know what I mean? Like, that seems (laughs) way more terrifying. The idea
1: that your mind can just shatter like that. And another thing that, you know, moving forward, I have to address, too, is a lot of people would like to say that David Paulides, uh, I'm sorry, Paulides' books, and I, I know how his name is pronounced, but it's just a habit. Um, all he does is he doesn't posit theories. He simply presents the facts. And that has been something I've seen kind of used in defense of maintaining the the kind of uh, paranormal nature of these cases and kind of poo-pooing anybody who says David Paul- Paulides' is, uh, not, maybe not necessarily correct. And to that, I'm simply going to say, flat, you're wrong. We're going to go through excerpts of his books where he simply begins implying, nudging, and additionally adding or simply removing facts from the case so that the narrative fits a more mysterious nature rather than something tragic and uh, probably just natural or underlying illness. Uh, of the person that they that they ended up finding or just straight up misreporting. In one story that we'll talk about, he says the person was never found. However, an article that uh, if you dig deeper into that particular case, he was found three days later and he was relatively fine uh, for condition. So What's even the stories that? presented in the book are not necessarily full of facts. And that's where we need to really, really
2: work necessarily full of facts exactly,
1: and that's a, that immediately puts it puts everything in doubt is is the problem. Moreover, researching into David Paulitis further shows that he himself is I'm um, just going to say kind of a dick. Uh, heading over, you know, just reading up about him, he's very transphobic, very anti-vax, very government conspiracy, deep state kind of thing. And while again, you know, this is not a political take and that I'm taking, it's simply how he is. It makes more sense that maybe he truly does believe in the weird nature of missing 411 and doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily trying to make a lot of money off of this. But it's also important to note that people uh, claim that he is the only one doing missing 411 research. And that is also simply not true. However, he has done an amazing job at creating the missing 411 brand and making himself the face of it. So looking up missing 411 very specifically or anything tangential to it will bring him up first and foremost. But dig deeper. And there are plenty of people out there who look into these cases and are also doing missing 411 research and are finding that a lot of them are not necessarily all that mysterious after all. There may still be some mysterious cases in that book. And that is always going to pluck at the mind and draw your imagination i'm right there with you but you have to if you want to believe in the paranormal that's not good yeah look at what is likely happening now i'm sure i'm already there's so many angry people that's all the the foundation i need to lay i'd like to move forward now with uh the actual episode itself um is there any other questions or concerns that you may have prior Okay, so the very first thing we're going to talk about (laughs) is something that we actually brought up on the last episode, and that is simply the maps that are laid out in terms of caves and in terms of missing people clusters. One of the big problems that uh, Paulides' map has is that it is scattered. There is no key on the map. You just simply have to know what the dots represent. And if an unlearned eye or an uneducated eye simply looked at the maps, and I would uh I'll get you a map link right now, gentlemen. The map on top that we're looking at, and this is a map that's used kind of uh often, um, and you can't really read the shit on the right, it's all pegged out. But just looking at the top map, that looks like a mess of clusters, right? Lots of little dots, very messy, and potentially it could represent a lot of missing people. But what I didn't even know at the time when I first looked at this until doing some further reading is that the black dots on that map are not missing peoples. They're simply cave systems. The only uh, missing peoples represented on that map are the red dots. And that's it, which are a the substantially red, like the, smaller. Yeah, like the orangey ones. Yeah, the orangey red ones. Correct. There's a subst- So they don't even really sync up with the cave systems. But they're, again, we know where cave systems are and there are countless unknown potential falls into caves when you're in those areas. And that's that's something I've learned just reading more about cavers is how, you know, if you're going into an area that has a caving system, you gotta be careful and watch your step because if you're not looking, there's could just be a small hole that's barely big enough to either break your ankle or just fucking slip into and disappear.
3: So visually what we're looking at is Mm -hmm. a map of the United States, continental US. Yes. And there are what appear to be red, and then blue lines and then green lines and then yellow lines. I'm not sure exactly what those tags are for. And then there are little orange dots and those orange dots I assume are the missing people potentially or
1: spots where people go missing because I'm still not sure what the tags are. Um, Yeah. And anytime I've been, I've looked for an image that is not that, uh, what are you crushed by a bit rate, but it just doesn't exist online. Right. Well,
3: whatever, it's very clear. The big thing here is that they're showing the limestone caves and lava caves of the U.S. And Correct. what's interesting, and I think I, this is not what I expected. I would expect the Rockies to have a bunch more caves than apparently it does. Maybe that's discovered caves. I'm not sure. Appalachia, on the other hand, all <laughs> caves all day. That whole, yes. you can literally just see where the Appalachian Mountains go through the United States. So yep. it's,
1: I mean, yeah, the map right. underneath is just a, a a regular map to use as comparison uh, right. to the missing. And so, you
3: know, map. if you overlay it, you can see that much of it is related, but there's also some outliers here or there. Like there's one just sort of like in the upper peninsula of Michigan.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's 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 a lot of stuff. And there is even speculation that the the top map didn't even initially have those black dots on them that they were put as as by, on there by a second party to show Where the caves are, and that initially it was just little red dots and blue dots with very little uh, context beyond that. This guy goes through the actual map itself. uh, The Chuck Sutherland, this guy's a caver, and he talks about uh, you know having been very familiar with with mapping caves and cartography. That the map itself is completely done wrong. It's too vague. He uses point data when that should only be used to symbolize infrequent data, and there's a lot of like problems with the map. Uh, that they use itself. And there's plenty of examples uh, if you go down as to other maps that are more useful and how they're used and what the point data is used for. Um, I'm not here to teach you about how caving maps work, but uh, that's the first thing I want to talk about because there is that belief that they might be getting like lost in caves and that still may very well be true. There Uh, is also... Really quickly,
3: just to interrupt. um, Man, this is is upsetting. Uh, If you go to the Chuck Sutherland page, Mm-hmm. Um it says that image that we just looked at is called the North American Cluster Map. Yes. And when you click North American Cluster Map it takes you to a page that then says uh the North American Cluster Map version 2 available high quality for sale on yep. the Bigfoot store. Then you go to the Bigfoot store, you click that link, and then if you want to see the map and you want to see all the cluster maps cuz now the cluster maps are multiple sets.
1: 46.95 exactly and i don't want to go out there and say he's out there to make a buck uh but he might be out there to make a buck
3: and here's the thing it's like it's we're not we're obviously not against making a buck this is oh no, god no hello look at what we, oh, do we literally start we started the entire show with sometimes. a patreon thing yeah exactly but in this case if you're doing
1: what you believe to be scientific research the proof shouldn't be behind a paywall submit the map somewhere if you truly fi- think you're finding something then you should submit the map but Yeah like a t-shirt a hat a whatever fine <laughs> Yeah, yeah I like, no, I get that books the documented books.
3: evidence of what you're trying to prove is 40 50 bucks that that's that's not right
2: <laughs> Who's it supposed to help Like isn't it supposed to be like isn't like part of it like the moral appeal to like we got to get these people's stories out there, but then you got to pay to- 100%. And if you watch the uh,
1: 2019 documentary, which you can find on Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. uh, That's the tone of the whole thing. It's him interviewing these families and like really taking their side and being like, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um, So yeah, there is that tone of like trying to get their stories out there. But again, the further you dig and the further you look, the less the missing 411 stuff appears paranormal and the more it just kind of begins to- fall apart as a, as opposed to anything else. Um, another thing uh, that is talked about is that, you know, a lot of these missing persons cases are not handled properly, not filed properly by the National Park Services or by the FBI and the government. But there is a reason for that. There is a reason that these these things are kind of scattered and not well reported. It's not an excuse for the government to be as sloppy as it may or may not be. Um, but incompetence, once again, doesn't necessarily mean conspiracy. Okay.
3: All right. I now understand what the map... I now have seen information that kind of details what the map we looked at was. Those orange dots are not single incidents. They are where multiple things have taken place in that very particular area And that's why they're highlighted there. 3 to 75 to 80. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's much much more shocking than, like, 30 people went missing around the U.S. At least it seems like, oh, okay, we're saying in this very particular spot in, say, somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains in, like, Tennessee, people just go missing all the time. Like okay, I I I'm like a little more into the mystery of it now. Before I was like, this
1: is insane.
3: But all right, I kind of like. I don't necessarily believe it, but like, all right, I can like. You can be there. I vibe can vibe with you.
1: it. Yeah. As far as uh the states and the, the reason that these are all like not as well documented is simply a matter of state law, and and a federal law. Federal missing persons cases are not like they don't go after every single missing persons, and city missing persons will not always correlate with the federal missing persons case. And there's just not, there's not communication there. And because there's not communication, cases are going to slip through the cracks. People are going to get, you know, never found and left as cold cases. It's going to happen. And he's posited that they don't necessarily record all missing persons cases. However, I have also read that that is not true. They simply won't give him all of the information because of his known background, and so they're not willing to come forward. Um, one last weird discrepancy I had was that in the books, Idas describes a single park ranger Coming to him and and anonymously and saying he needs to do this research. However, in the documentary from 2019, he says two anonymous rangers approached him and asked him to do this. It's just, it's small, but when things start stacking up, the small things become a lot more obvious as you begin to do your, you know, do more research and do more reading. With that out of the way, the chunk of this episode is going through about three separate cases that are presented in his North America book, the same one we were using as examples from the last one. Not the same stories, just the same book, um, which you can go get at on his website for way cheaper than I realized. You can get it for like 25, 30 bucks over on his website. So if you want one of his books, don't go to Amazon. Just go to his website and buy one of the books at like normal friggin' cost. Um, but this is uh this is what this is the part where I uh, started reading and really started seeing this all fall apart for me. So the first case we're going to talk about is the missing person by the name of Frida Langer who went disappearing in 1950. She was 53 years old when she went missing in Vermont. First, we're just going to read an excerpt here, a paragraph from the book itself. And then we're going to kind of look at why what he's positing is not just the facts and is twisted, turned and nudged in a particular direction. So first, this comes from pages 275 to 276 in the Eastern U.S. book. The woman was 150 yards away from a cabin that she had owned for 14 years. There was no way she was lost. This woman knew exactly where she was going. Something very bad happened to her. The key to this, and many other cases highlighted in this book, is the location of the body. Frida was found in a swampy area in high weeds, a description very similar to many other locations where bodies in this book have been found. You cannot convince me that people seek out swamps to walk into it and die. It makes no sense. Frida knew this area as well as Corey Kelly knew northern Minnesota when he disappeared. Kelly was found in almost an identical area as Frida. If a predator wanted to take a person into an area where they wouldn't be seen and a person wouldn't walk up on them, a swamp with high reeds would be ideal. So that's a paragraph from Paulides himself. And I'm sure just hearing it after the amount of we've done, you can kind of hear a lot of the issues kind of in that um there's a lot of suggestion there so first we'll talk about the 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 statement that says the woman was 150 yards away from a cabin that she had owned for years there was no way she was lost and uh breaking it down the author says that this statement is kind of an argument for per from his own personal incredul- incredul- incredulity wow that came out hard Um, there is no way any other person can conclude that Langer was not lost because nobody was there to help her. It's true that Langer was 150 yards from the cabin when she was last seen, but it's misleading to claim that there was no way
2: she was lost. Why is it misleading to claim this? 150 yards in nature is different than a football field and a half of open space. Well, here's again a fact
1: that Paulides leaves out. This you might beyond the fact that nature itself and that is a good enough excuse or a good enough reason. Um, but the reason that there's no he cannot claim that there's no way that she was lost is because this woman had been suffering from blackouts as a as a result of a brain tumor surgery from five years earlier, which we got we can get from the North Adams transcript on the October 30th, 1950. So she was blacking out like she was having that. But that wasn't mentioned, you know, in in the book. Uh, quote uh, the the transcript goes on to stay so the medical transcript says quote in mr john's opinion the ill-fated mrs langer either lost her way and was overtaken by darkness while seeking a shorter route through the woods she knew well or was stricken by one of the mental seizures to which she had been subject since a brain operation five years ago and wandered aimlessly through the night to her death mr john is a state's attorney uh edward a john of Battleboro. so yeah this uh, there's a there was a way she could have been freaking lost. And there's no mention of her brain tumor in in her entire missing persons uh, segment within her book. That one case alone might throw doubt, like that one fact alone could even throw doubt on the rest of the books, but there are so many more examples. This woman, the next quote is simply this woman knew exactly where she was going. And yet again, because of her her sickness, we have no idea uh, what, what could have caused that. We know she had surgery and she was having issues. Uh, he then goes on to say, the key to this and many other cases highlighted in the book is the location where she was found, the high swampy thing, uh, the high swampy area. Here, David Paulides claims that the key is the location where Langer went missing, but ignores her medical background entirely. Politis has not solved a single case, so how does he know what the keys are? There are no indications that that the Langer case, A, is connected to the other cases, or B, explains other cases. Uh, The North Adams transcript from the hospital on May 14, 1951 would state, quote, Both Mr. Langer and Mr. S. Elsner, who were at the camp Saturday, but who knew nothing of the grim climax until they were roused from sleep by the returning party shortly after midnight, also felt certain that a recurrence of Mrs. Langer's old ailment had sent her to her death. Which means the people who she went missing from were convinced it must have been happening so often or often enough where it could have happened. And that's all it takes. She wasn't being watched. And a medical thing goes wrong. Then we go into where he starts nudging the audience a little. He says, you cannot convince me that people seek out swamps to walk into and die. It makes no sense. And this is what's known as a straw man argument. Um, Yeah, people seek out swamps and walk into and die. Uh, It's another argument from incredulity. It it makes no sense. No one has claimed that Langer walked out and sought a swamp to walk into or die. Accidental drowning is a way more likely scenario, according to the investigators, than her walking into a swamp to die. He just implies that with the evidence he puts forward, and it immediately will put you. Of course, if you haven't done any deeper research in any of these cases, is going to put you, the reader, to believe that there's something weird going on, and it's it helps. uh, I think his case that he very heavily, consistently throughout the books, leans on his 40 years in the FBI and all that stuff to give him that uh, credibility. Um, But again. If you are, you know, reading these books and you still don't, you know, believe, what I would say is do the research that you believe Paul Lytis is doing himself. Go and try to f- do the research on these cases on your own. See what you can find and see if it matches for yourself. Finally, he goes to say the quote from uh, if a predator wanted to take a person into an area where they wouldn't, where they wouldn't be and a person wouldn't walk up on them. A swamp with high reeds would be ideal. But there was never once a predator in the source material. No predator was ever mentioned. The predator character is only being brought up and invented in this sentence. Uh the framework of, of his missing 411 kind of narrative almost needs some sort of abductor. Uh because if there was no abductor then then it's just a natural occurrence. But these cases, you know, he consistently says are are he's only presenting the facts. But again, he's not A. And B, uh if he if he was if this is all he was doing was presenting the facts, why is he pumping out nine books and not going with this research to like the people who, who do research on missing persons? You know, it's just it's just sketchy. So that's that one little little look. And you can actually there's a newspaper clippings talking about the finding of her body uh, that you can go read from 1950. They're all out there. They're uh, easily accessible. And that's just one of the examples that, uh, you know, that are mentioned in his book. Um we'll go to the next one but I mean that's kind of like the gist so far gentlemen of like what we're looking at here and does it all make a little bit more sense kind of as we're looking through it and and you know I just I wish I'm just I'm bummed I think I'm bummed I think deep down yeah my heart is broken because I I want to I want to believe man I want to believe that the people are walking through interdimensional doorways or aliens are swinging down and hell maybe one of these cases in these nine books is an alien abduction like the chance is there, and if there is that's true,
2: I would jump into I that, think, but it just colors it just colors my understanding of these events even worse agreed it already seemed pretty sus like it seemed like it was like maybe sus in good faith before right like just somebody who earnestly was convincing themselves that this was true yeah you know but now it just seems like and I still don't necessarily. I don't want to say something. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't either,
1: but I don't, and I I wouldn't even necessarily disbelieve that that's what the initial intention was, that this was, uh, you know, a case taken on, you know, from his own fascination and looking, but again, all, you know, go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to the list of things that has to be considered for them to be missing four in one, then understand that not all of them have to be true and then understand how vague all of them are. Um, I'll, I'll copy paste you boys, the bullet points just so you have them. Some of them need to be true uh, for, for them to be Some considered a missing Some of them need forward. to be true. Some of them missing need to be true. Even in the documentary, the first case he's talking about, only about three of them uh, happened to this person, but be, that's, I guess, enough. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that that is what it is. Moving on to the next case is a man by the name of Barofsky who went missing in 1892. He was six years old and he went missing in New Jersey. Uh, he was missing for about four days in the summer of 1892, and when rescuers found him crying in a swamp, the boy was suffering from exposure and hunger. Barofsky was taken to a doctor who felt the boy would probably not survive. Uh, this is the pretty much the very next case in the book. This is pages 277 to 278. You can read about this in the, in the Eastern U.S. book like the previous one. So David Paulitis, in this particular case, publishes An article, uh, a quote from an article in the Weekly Herald of 1982, July 8th, quote, the article says, quote, the child was found hanging over a bush. There was at least two feet of water surrounding it. The bushes within the child's reach had been gnawed and eaten, and the clothes were torn from the little one, while blood streamed from the wounds and gashes on its body and legs. The skin and flesh on its legs were torn off, its hands badly lacerated and shrunken. So that's 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 uh, a quote. That's an actual article. That's how they found the boy. And that was in the book itself. However, Paulides then kind of leaves out the next part of that. uh, Rather, he goes on to lead the player, uh, the player, Jesus, the reader in the next paragraph saying all readers need to now reread the statement I made in the article. The boy was found hanging over a bush. I doubt he thrust himself onto the bush to hang there. I doubt he placed himself in the middle of the swamp. It almost appears to me as though the boy was being carried through the swamp thickets, being ripped and scratched. As searchers got closer, the boy was placed safely on top of a bush, and the suspect escaped. Again, I would not posit that as him putting forward facts and instead guiding the reader toward a particular conclusion. And there is one article that he does not refer to, and it was published in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in July 3rd, 1982, uh, this article, which uh, I can send you the image, image two right here, gentlemen. I'll, I'll link you the article that we're using here. Oh, old school article. Yeah, it's an old school article from the 1892 dude. So yeah, this, this is an article that he. This is the. There is one article that he doesn't refer to. This is the a newspaper was published, and you can see the image below to get a p- better picture of what actually happened. I'll read the article here. Oh no, you know what, Jesse. Give me your old timing announcer voice and read me this article.
3: Found in Swamp, a six-year-old boy wanders away from home, New York, July 2nd. The six-year-old son of Lazarus Borovsky of Carmel, New Jersey, who wandered away four days ago, has been found. A large number of searchers on Friday began an investigation of the Lebanon Swamp, a marsh of large area. The searching party separated and went over the ground carefully. Late in the afternoon a cry was heard coming from the interior of a clump of bushes penetrating into this one whoa what is penetrating into this one of the searchers Woo! was rewarded by discovering the missing boy bending over and clinging to a small bush which stood (laughs) in the center of a little pool of water nearly two feet deep. That is a sentence. That is an old-timey ass sentence. Jesus. The little one had evidently suffered from hunger as well as exposure as he had began gnawing uh, the bushes in the hope of obtaining some nourishment from them. The clothing of the child was torn, wet, and soiled, and there were scratches on the body and the legs from which the blood flowed. What a sentence! From which which the blood flowed. The skin and some of the flesh had also been torn from its legs. Its legs and its little hands were painfully lacerated. By the way, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I was about to be like, I'm just saying. They didn't say he or she there, but what? All right. That's very true. I'm not going to start nothing. I'm just saying. It isn't a new thing. No. Um, Since the child disappeared, two heavy rainstorms occurred from which the child had nothing to protect
1: it. There's a point. There's a point right there. After moving the
3: half-famished little one to the home of its parents, a doctor was sent for. He has grave doubts of its recovery as the little one is suffering from a severe attack of pneumonia, the result of its exposure to the elements. I don't, you know what? I'm not not sure I like the phrase it's. (laughs) Their exposure to the elements sounds much, it's is a little dehumanizing, but okay. It is the little one. The little one. It is the little, which also, by the way, I just want to point out, it starts with the six-year-old son of Lazarus Barofsky. And mm-hmm. then they say they went to look go look for the, the child. And then the rest of the time, it's like, it's, 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 it. Yep. And if this is a horror story, they didn't find that child. Whatever they found was not that kid. <laughs> they
1: found the little one. But uh, yeah, this news article was not referenced or, 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 you know, used in any way. I don't know if there was anything necessarily nefarious about it at all, obviously. And I'm not here to posit whether he did. It's that if he was actually doing his full research and presenting it, Either he didn't find this article or he cherry picked and chose not to. Um, But we're going to go through his statement and talk about why what he said also falls into like a bit of a lie. So the first statement he says is now that all the readers now need to go reread the statement made in the article that the boy was found hanging over a bush. And yes, this quote is correct according to both the newspaper articles that we've now read from. But it's also super vague and misleading. As we've already seen in the St. Louis Post Dispatch that we just read, it offers a clear description of what the scene looked like. Late in the afternoon, a cry was heard coming from the interior of a clump of bushes, penetrating into the one of the researchers uh, by discovering the missing boy bending over and clinging to a small bush, not hanging off of a bush like he was placed High above, like the first article seems to imply.
3: Yeah, he's literally just trying to like find
1: food. He's not Yeah. He's like and he's like water around he's him, and he's nourished. You know, yeah, he's like literally just scavenging. Do, you know. Yes. Yeah, he's not like left there and by by some weird creature. And the other thing is too, is uh he pause well, we'll we'll continue. Um he then goes on to say, I doubt he thrust himself onto the bush to hang there. And again, another argument from personal like incredulity and an example of Paul Itis reading way too much into an article. It's no 19, no 1892 sources suggest Barofsky thrust himself onto the bush to hang there. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch states the boy was bending over and clinging to a small bush. The boy was standing on the ground. He was not thrust and he was not hanging from the bush. So again, you're already getting the wrong picture painted for you. Also,
3: the concept of hanging from a bush, it's more you're laying in the bush because it collapses.
1: Yes, Exactly. See, that's the image I had even too when I first read "hanging from a bush." You anyway. said "hanging so, from a tree."
3: Yeah. Fine, I get it.
1: Different. Yeah. Hanging from a yep. bush, you were literally just in the bush.
3: You're
2: not hanging yep. at all. What are we? What are we actually talking about? Like the cat, like the little the hanging there hang their kitty in their cat. Yeah, a little hanging there yeah.
1: cat. Yeah, that's what counts. Well, I think as think what
3: I the, the the problem here is that. The story we have been told is one that sounds much more dramatic and much more done for the purposes of selling an idea. Even if that's not what was attempted to be done here, it's definitely what it sounds like when you see stuff like this. I'm very curious. When was this book written? Because I always wonder about the availability of records. Yes, because the older stuff is the harder to because everything's on microfiche, which, by the way, that was a thing, kids, where you had to go to the not that long ago, man. It was 2012. So Never I mean, mind. Ten years you ago. You could have Googled this shit. Yes, you could have Googled it 100 <laughs> percent. You could have Googled this.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this is not and this is not like the late 90s or the early 2000s. This is in the right. Internet age. And he, honestly, it's because of the Internet that missing 411 is as popular as it is Um Moving Somewhere on to George
3: Norry's, like it was me, I did
1: this. I, oh. George Norry. <laughs> uh, then he goes to say, "It almost appears to me as the boy was being carried through the swamp that gets being ripped and scratched again, because it's his inability to understand why Barofsky was found in a swamp is not evidence that the boy was abducted by someone or something." The source material does not say that he was carried. Him being carried is Paulides interjecting that. That's not how it was even remotely like found. Um, And and when he says he doubt he found, he he doubt he placed himself in the middle of the swamp. That's again, that's just Paulides' inability to imagine a certain scenario. Doesn't mean it did not happen. When you are lost, you are lost. And some people who are lost end up in swamps. Yeah, I don't want to
3: read too much into the article, but I think what it's... Again, this is, you know, 1800s English. 1892 language, yeah. The clothing of the child was torn, wet, and soiled, and there were scratches on the body and the legs from which the blood flowed. The skin and some of the flesh had also been torn from its legs. So its little hands were painfully lacerated. So basically, the legs, the hands... Things that would be, I'm scrounging, I'm walking through a swamp, I'm grabbing things to... For four days in the 1890s. And it, it thunderstorm for two days, they said. Heavy yeah. rain for two days. So I would imagine that this kid is soaking wet... His skin is, you know, like wet-ass skin. You know how that be after like an hour. Wet-ass
2: skin? Wet-ass skin. Yeah, get you, me that wet You know wet what I'm ass talking about you get all like uh, shriveled up. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Pruney
3: boys. If you're in I the rain, you. constant rain for a long time, your body is just going to, you know, it's just like the same thing. You rip and tear like paper. Yeah. And so. You're pruning out, dude. Yeah. You're yeah. pruning out. And I can understand pruning out equals you rip a little easier.
1: Yeah, in little little scrapes, your skin peels off so much easier when you get like a little cut. He's going to be missing skin. Again, things that are conveniently ignored or left out. And then at the end, you know, the rest of that paragraph is him continuing his story. Like he's saying as the researchers got closer, the boy was placed safely on top of a bush and then the suspect likely escaped. Again, that's all storyline. He's concocting a, a, a narrative he wants you to believe and it puts you in a creepy mood. And, like, if these were, like, books of fiction, then yeah. And they kind of are. They're real missing persons cases, but they're manipulated to be way creepier than they actually are. Nature's creepy in and of itself. Don't make it any worse. The next missing person we're going to talk about is a man by the name of Earl Somerville in 1957. This one in particular is kind of a egregious um, example of really important information left out of the story being told. So he was 48 years old when he went missing in Minnesota. Hunter Earl Somerville went missing in northern Minnesota near the Canadian border in November of 1957. Somerville had left the Clayton Peterson Lumberyard Camp near Lomond to hunt Groose. When he failed to return, a uh, search was then initiated. The 48-year-old hunter had a dog with him at the time of his disappearance. And Paulie, this, this is next from his uh, book. This is an excerpt from his book. Quote, Somerville left the camp and headed into a swampy area to hunt Groose. He he was never found authorities from the United States and Canada searched the border area and they had assistance from employees of the Minnesota and Ontario paper companies temperatures in the area of the search at night got down into the 20s Searchers felt that Somerville could only survive a few days because of his experience in the woods or rather he could survive a few days because of his experience in the woods. So that right there is the the you know, an excerpt from the book Um, again, pretty much right after the last one that we went through. Um. And we, we hear the story of a man who just disappears. He's a, a known hunter. He knows the woods well. There should be no reason he disappeared and not come back. And we never know what actually happened to him. Um, with the very important exception that that's not true. Uh, we know what happened to him. Uh, we know Except what happened to him because- uh, Because for whatever reason, Paulitis either, A, didn't do enough research and didn't find this, or B, purposefully cherry picked and didn't put this in his book because it no longer fit his story, both not looking good. Uh, Yeah, he was alive. Not only that, he was found in three days. And this is the article from the St. Cloud Times, October 6th of 1957.
2: Uh, Jesse or Alex, either one, you may read this newspaper quote. A lumber camp worker missing since Sunday in Muskeg Wilderness, 40 miles southwest of here, where he had gone to hunt grouse, was found shortly after 8 a.m. today. He was reported in good condition. Several cars carrying searchers parked along a woods truck trail about 18 miles southwest of Loman, Minnesota, started honking horns. Somerville's shouts were then heard. He was found about a half mile from the trail near the Black River. Searchers said he was in good condition and apparently none the worse for three nights in the wilderness. Yeah, so he was found. He was not a missing person at all. That's whack. Like
1: that's that's whack. Why I even include that, though. Because I I have that good question. I can't posit the reason. I can only speculate. But that just completely negates an entire entry into the book. This man was fucking found. But, you know, according to his book, he's not. So, again, he either, A, didn't do enough research and is very quickly pumping these books out. Or, B, he's neglecting information because it no longer fits the story he needs to tell for it to be missing four one one.
5: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: We now move on to the next set of circumstances, the disappearance of Kathy Thompson and Sarah Dixon in 1956. They were three and seven or eight years old and went missing in Colorado. These two young girls went missing during a storm and Kathy was found a couple hours later not far from her house and Sarah was found the following day some miles away. And uh, we'll go through just we'll go through what he says and then we'll kind of talk about it as we go through it. On June on June 5th, 1956, at 1130 a.m., Sarah and Kathy were outside the Thomas residence when a severe thunderstorm hit the mountains. A June 6th article in the Desert News had the following statement about finding Kathy, quote, two hours later at 130 p.m., Kathy was found 300 yards uh, from the Thomas home. So that's, yes, that's 100% correct so far. Uh, searchers knew that Sarah didn't know the area and were surprised she'd leave her friend. But they were also puzzled why Kathy couldn't explain where her friend went. Um, it's important to keep in note that Kathy, who was three, the three-year-old, was found hysterical but unharmed from the Messenger Enquirer of uh, June 8th, 1956 by rescuers two hours after she was missing. Yeah, she went from just from two hours she was found. There were no sources that uh, that I could find or that this particular uh, other, this other, I call him a journalist, uh, could find that supported the claim that rescuers were puzzled that Kathy could not tell where Sarah had gone. I mean, I, I couldn't find any newspaper articles that would claim it, but there weren't. I mean, there's only like a couple of clips, so there's not any, any evidence. I don't know where he got that descriptive idea that they were puzzled? Sometimes
2: you just need somebody to be puzzled, yeah. so you
1: just- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need to to massage it a little bit. Work in <laughs> the flavor. <laughs> Kathy was three years old and hysterical. An Associated Press article published in Palladium Item, uh, June 6 1956 states, quote, Kathy didn't provide any indication where Sarah was, only she sobbed and pointed toward the mountains. We also couldn't find any sources that said rescuers were surprised Kathy was left by herself. The article in the Messenger Inquirer states, quote, Sarah's parents said she may have been frightened and confused by a thunderstorm. They said she is high-strung and nervous. From the kid's parents herself. So the kid was gonna freak out. Paulides continues in his book to say, Sarah did not make any statements about where she had been and what had happened during her disappearance. And this statement is 100% incorrect. The Messenger Inquirer on June 8th, 1956 continues and says, quote, when a thunderstorm came up, Sarah told the younger girl to stay where she was while she went back to the cabin for coats. She took the wrong direction and wandered into timber, uh, wandered into a timber. Salt Lake Tribune on June 7th, 1956, even quotes Sarah saying, quote, I would walk a while and then I would sit down and rest a while and sometimes I would sleep. Uh, Then I would walk again and all the time I was calling for my mommy and daddy damn (laughs) just that's again another lie that she did have it's completely
2: uh, not what really happened at all
1: correct why does he have to make the claim that she didn't make any statements like why once again do that are we left with again he didn't actually do enough research or he's leaving things out we don't know we don't know the next part of of paulitis's statement is it seems unusual that two small girls would separate one Uh, would separate one was found 300 yards from home and another was found five to six miles from the same location, especially for a three year old. And again, what the the key word here is what makes it unusual? Why is he using the word unusual? The girls got separated when Sarah made the decision to go get some coats. We learned that from newspaper articles. This is clearly stated in multiple articles. And if you don't know why the girls got separated, then how can you claim, quote, it seems unusual that they got separated? You can't, that's just, that's not true. Uh, Paulides right. also claims that Sarah was three years old, but she was not three years old. She was seven years old. The Salt Lake Tribune on June 7th of 1956 or eight years old, depending on the newspaper because they, they look, uh, call her eight years old in the Desiree News uh, of the same date. There are even pictures of her. She looks nothing like a three-year-old. You can go look at photos of this girl. She's, it's it just, just—I'm. this is why I got so frustrated the more I was putting this episode together because it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? Can I
3: posit something? And I'm very curious. Please do. This feels like the last great attempt at something we've done or looked at frequently on this podcast, which is like a dude Writing in a newspaper that he found a lost tribe living in you know the desert. Uh, you know, Egyptians are here in America. Yeah, that kind of thing. And you can just say some shit, and then people will believe you, and they can't really look up anything to prove you wrong. At least in your lifetime, right? And this case feels like one of those things where it's 2012. Going to write some stuff. Going to get a coast to coast interview and now he has had he he, of course he has that's how i know him (laughs) and we literally
1: can just google
3: like all right let's look this up
1: a hundred percent we live in a even 10 years separated The information age has exploded in ways that we would never have even seen coming.
3: Yeah, and I think this is one of those things where now you can look up all this detailed factual information and just be like, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to buy your (laughs) Egyptians in America. I'm just going to buy any of that because there's no evidence of that. And what you're doing is twisting facts and like writing stories, which are interesting. There's certainly something super fascinating about people just like, up and vanishing. Yeah. Super interesting. The books could just But it doesn't mean that what happened is what you were saying happened. Ah, uh-huh,
1: but then can you crank out nine books? Ugh, I don't know, but that's just a me that's just a me thing. That's just a me thing. Again, I don't I don't I don't shit on the making of a buck. I shit on the lies trying to be passed off as truth. Just just write the actual missing stories, dude, because the missing stories are fucking fascinating. Or 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 literally, hey, here's 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 my here's my
3: for anyone out there, here's my writing prompt. Enjoy. You can have this one for free. People start going missing. In fact, entire cities go missing and the world starts to panic. What does it mean? Why are they going missing? People start wondering what's going on with it. People are vanishing. People start thinking: is it based on the number of people in a city? Is it based on the type of people like all sorts? You can use all sorts of crazy psychological things. And in the end. It's based on nothing. People just disappear. That's even more horrifying. Yep. Anyone can disappear. That's terrifying. That's existential. You're welcome. That's a nice writing.
1: If you got an idea, write it on our Reddit. I'd love to read maybe one on a mini soda or something. That'd be awesome. 100 pages minimum. No, okay. No, 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 no. Or no, I'm no. not reading. If you write a 200 page one, Alex will read it on the t- sode 200.
2: <laughs> a page a minute? If you write mm. a 200 page story, I'll read I'll read the whole you thing. Perfect. You have to do a script. it has to be a script. Yeah, okay, I'm down minute. for that. A three-person script. You want a script. 200
1: minute
3: <laughs> actual script A 200 minute radio you get play. You paid for
1: nothing. We get to use it on our mid- on our Minnesota and make money off of you. Okay. Yeah, it's called missening. The missening.
3: The missening. That's
1: called Illuminati the Missing. The Missing. Yeah. The Missing 922. Uh, episode <laughs> 200.
3: It's locked in. The missing 200. You're welcome. He, that's our. That's the name
1: of the show. Even better than
2: episode 100.
1: So again, we'll pick back up. We'll just get back on track, gentlemen. Um, the ages were wrong. The the reasons were wrong. Uh, the, the the fact that they the girls wouldn't say anything were wrong. And he goes on now to kind of build his narrative where he says children are usually scared in thunderstorms, but but the behavior of these girls of these two girls defies common sense. And the answer, the question is how? How is what they what they did in that moment defying common sense? Sarah ran off to go get some coats and Kathy was hysterical, which is fine for a normal little kid who is already notably nervous. How is being hysterical during a thunderstorm unusual or be, defies common sense? It doesn't, it doesn't at all. Bloodhounds then, he goes to say, bloodhounds didn't find the girls and the weather during the disappearance was atrocious. Uh, the girls went missing... Because of the disappear, um, because of the weather and the thunderstorm, and because of decisions made by Sarah, Polidus kind of gives his readers the impression that more than one bloodhound was used, but this is not the case. Uh, Tucson Citizen wrote in 1956 uh, on June 6th that quote Sheriff Carl Enlow said the one bloodhound available to searchers was hampered last night by fresh rain and the fact so many persons had tampered or tramped the area. The dog owned by rancher Roy Thomas of Golden managed to pick up the girl's scent several times, but just as frequently the trail was lost. So, again, that's not true. He's implying things that aren't necessarily true. And the final bit is that he goes to say, How did three-year-old Sarah, who's actually seven or eight, manage to get five to six miles from the point she was lost last seen in total darkness? Um, again, that's not her age. Uh, She claims Sarah managed to get five to six miles from the point she was last seen in, quote, total darkness. But it is a little bit hard to understand why he wrote that sentence, because in the NAAB, page 406, he acknowledges this is another his other book. He acknowledges Sarah and Kathy went missing at 1130 a.m., which is during the daylight. The sun is in its highest position in noon, even in Colorado, and the girls went missing in June when days are long and nights are short. If Sarah wandered the entire distance in total darkness, it means she must have been walking around from 10 p.m. And this is not the case, as pointed out by Paulitis himself. And he refers to an article in Hutchinson's News Herald that says Sarah was found five to six miles away, and, and it is correct the article says this, but different articles say different things. Spokane Chronicle for Existence, uh, for example, states that she was found three miles east of the cabin where the Dixie family was vacationing. The Desert News one says that she was want- she wandered into a ranch house two miles from where she disappeared shortly before noon Tuesday in the midst of a thunderstorm. The Chicago Tribune says she reappeared three miles from where she had set out for a walk from the mountain cabin to which she and her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Carl Dixon of Brownsburg, Indiana, had come for a vacation. So the all the articles say all different things. Why is what how do we know which one is correct? Yeah, I think that's we have a, all of
3: those. Yeah, I think that's a more interesting problem here that Yeah, it's have,
1: just completely different information?
3: Yeah, and and honestly, I, if I was Paul, I straight up just be like, this is the problem. All the articles say different things. Yeah. And that's like, exactly. why it's that's why this is yeah. a,
2: why isn't that so much more like like
3: solid of a thing to yeah, say Yeah, to attack that rather than be like it was something that took them just be like no one knows what happened look at all these people they're guessing that's how weird and bizarre it was is this dis- disinformation is like i can do this for him it's crazy to no, me you know
1: what? don't get this isn't for you paulitis you're a transphobic asshole so i don't <laughs> care but any of our listeners out there if you want to write about missing persons book you go take this this is like the interesting shit is already in there the historical interesting shit is there and we're by reading his books you're not getting that you're getting a very small piece of the actual story happening and it's and it's not an accurate depiction of what is really going on it's filled with lies and and weird storytelling okay we've got one more it's whacktastic. we got one more and this will be the very last one uh that we talk about in this episode and this will be the final chapter of Missing 411, I will not be returning to this topic anymore after, you know, learning a lot of the stuff I did. This is going to be the bookend onto our little weird four-part-ish series. So, missing person, uh, last missing person we're talking about is Alfred Bishop from 19- in 1926. He was 28 years old and went missing in Vermont. The 28-year-old Vermont hunter, Alfred Bishop, went missing on November 3rd of 1926. In the morning of November 4th, Bishop's body was found by his brother-in-law, Morris S. Gallagher, in the snow beside an abandoned road. Bishop's rifle, coat, and gloves were found in the area. State Attorney Robert R. Twitchell of Woodstock initiated an investigation and an autopsy was performed. Paulitis quotes an article published by Lewiston Daily from November 4th, 1926, saying, Bishop's body was found beside an abandoned road in the woods near the summer camp of Attorney, uh, Attorney General John G. Sargent. There were evidences of a terrific struggle in the snow, which was beaten down a distance of 60 paces about the body. Strewn about and in different directions were Bishop's rifle, coat, and gloves. Then Paulides goes to say, and this is in uh, the book we've been using the whole time, Eastern U.S., page 265, quote, Alfred's body was sent for autopsy. The Bridgeport Telegram had an article on November 6th that described the, the, the autopsy result as, quote, an autopsy was performed today on the body of Alfred Bishop of Felchville and failed to dispel the mystery of the oh. young man's death during a hunting trip Wednesday. I know Felchville, isn't that a great name? No, no external marks of violence were disclosed by the autopsy. Later in the same article, it has it it had this uh, this describing the area where Alfred was found. "Quote: The snow had been trampled over a considerable area, and there was every evidence of a terrific struggle." Now, this sounds kind of like a mystery, and that, that's kind of where it was is left. And like less than a week later, the mystery was solved. Uh, yes, this case was solved in 1926. So what happened to him? What happened to the mysterious man? What attacked him? Was it a, an invisible predator, an interdimensional being? Did he get attacked by government spooks and beaten? What happened 95 years ago? Well, the answer is no one actually attacked him. And the Vermont Journal from November 12, 1926 states, quote, The absence of bloodstains has puzzled the state's attorney who declared that if it were not for the lack of them, he would be inclined to believe Bishop had been the victim of a murderous attack. An autopsy decided that dilation of the heart had caused his death. Fucking had a fucking heart attack. The guy died in the woods because his heart gave out on him. He was probably struggling because he was stomping all over the place and dying a probably, unfortunately, not a
3: peaceful death. The problem is, is once you get into the world of conspiracy. Yeah, you can't get out. Everything becomes a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So just putting on my tinfoil hat, if you tell me dude was lost in a forest, died of a heart attack, I'm telling you either, well, what was he
2: so afraid of that killed him? Or yeah. I'm telling you. You can't trust the media. It's not satisfying if you go into something with an open mind and it's not and it's a mundane answer, basically. Bingo. Yeah.
1: You know. and, and people would say like you know well you can't trust them they're trying to hide it the maybe the media is being manipulated maybe that's why everybody recorded a different distance for the young girl, um, but the 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 answer is well if and even if we just take that statement as it is, but then you can't use newspaper as your evidence as well. well You're you not can't allowed trust to trust the use, news. You can never yeah, trust the you news. You can't you can't say you can't don't trust one thing but then continue to use that thing as evidence when it suits you. So it can't be both. Um, and and you know, Polidus uses the news. He uses articles. He uses the government's information that I was able to get, and all kinds of things. Several newspapers reported on the autopsy finding. It wasn't just one newspaper. The Express and Standard from November twelfth, nineteen twenty six, stated an autopsy was performed by Dr. Kent, state pathologist of Burlington, who was satisfied that death was caused by acute dilation of the heart, but beyond that, he made no statement. Then, in the Springfield Reporter on November 18, 1926 states, quote, the death of Alfred J. Bishop, 28 of Reading, whose body was found beside an abandoned road near the summer camp of Attorney General John J. G. Sargent two weeks ago was caused by heart failure. It was discovered by officials who in- investigated in an effort to find if there had been found play connected with his sudden demise. And that's... Really, it, ladies, boys, and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, I understand, you, you know, there might be like, well, you're cherry picking stories. There's a ton of them out there. You can go read them. If we talked about every single one, we would be here for days and days and days. Um, but even if this was the only examples, it immediately cast doubt on a lot of the it's rest. It's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame. But his book is written, and as someone who has read the book, like, his book is written like that consistently. While he never truly puts, quote unquote, puts out a theory, He is consistently nudging those to think of crazy theories who then go on to want to believe and defend that missing 411 is this giant cover up of whatever it could be. It's
3: the same rhetorical approach as when you see certain people on TV be like, I'm just asking questions. And then they say some of the craziest shit you've ever heard. And they're like, no, we
1: don't know that's true. I'm just asking questions. Literally, it's this whole defense is like, I'm not saying anything. I'm simply asking questions. But right. if you read the books and you take a minute to just look at the words being written, that's just not true. And when if that doesn't nudge you, the fact that one of those stories was just a lie <laughs> and- Just a dead ass lie, like just made up. All the other ones and all the other ones were huge parts of lies. Right. You know, just take that with a grain of salt. Doesn't mean that the, you know, the stories aren't fun to read and everything, but they are far more fiction than fact. And that- Boys and girls, is where we end the missing 411 chapter of Chiluminati. No reason to return to it again. It was a fun journey of, of discovery, of mystery, and at the end, disappointment. But that's how it goes sometimes. One day I will be abducted by an alien, and I will get fucked in the ass by one. But until then, it's only a story that I am concocting and is not facts. These claims? These claims? I know, these wild claims. We're off to go to Patreon to do a episode Thank you guys so much for listening, everybody. We're mini-sode 103. Confidence. Yeah, we're out of there, man. We're <laughs> out of here. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave it at that. We love, love you. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside. She's looking up at the sky in a I look up, too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.